Section 9 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 7, Great Women, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Madame de Maintenon, Part 2. In spite of his great abilities, no monarch ever reaped a severer penalty for his misgovernment than did Louis. Like Solomon, he lived long enough to see the bursting of all the bubbles which had floated before his intoxicated brain all his delusions were dispelled he was oppressed with superstitious fears he was weary of the very pleasures of which he once was fondest he saw before him a gulf of national disasters he was obliged to melt up the medallions which commemorated his victories to furnish bread for starving soldiers he lost the provinces he had seized he saw the successive defeat of all his marshals and the annihilation of his veteran armies he was deprived of his children and grandchildren by the most dreadful malady known to that generation a feeble infant was the heir of his dominions he saw nothing before him but national disgrace he found no counsellors whom he could trust no friends to whom he could pour out his sorrows the infirmities of age oppressed his body the agonies of remorse disturbed his soul the fear of hell became the foundation of his religion for he must have felt that he had a fearful reckoning with the king of kings such was the man to whom the best days of madame de montignon were devoted and she shared his confidence to the last she did all she could to alleviate his sorrows for a more miserable man than louis the fourteenth during the last twenty years of his life never was seated on a throne well might his wife exclaim save those who occupy the highest places i know of none more unhappy than those who envy them this great woman attempted to make her husband a religious man and succeeded so far as a rigid regard to formalities and technical observances can make a man religious it may be asked how this formal and proper woman was enabled to exert upon the king so great an influence for she was the real ruler of the land no woman ever ruled with more absolute sway from queen esther to madame de pompadour than did the widow of the profane and crippled scarron it cannot be doubted that she exerted this influence by mere mortal and intellectual force the power of physical beauty retreating before the superior radiance of wisdom and virtue la valliere had wearied and montespan had disgusted even a sensual king with all the remarkable attractions but montenon by her prudence her tact her wisdom and her friendship retained the empire she had won thus teaching the immortal lesson that nothing but respect constitutes a sure foundation for love or can hold the heart of a selfish man amid the changes of life whatever the promises made emphatic by passion whatever the presents or favors given as tokens of everlasting ties whatever the raptures consecrating the endearment of a plighted troth whatever the admiration called out by the scintillations of genius whatever the gratitude arising from benefits bestowed in sympathy all will vanish in the heart of a man unless confirmed by qualities which exhort esteem the most impressive truth that can be presented to the mind of woman her encouragement if good her sentence to misery if bad so far as her hopes center around an earthly idol now madame de montignon whatever her defects her pharisaism her cunning her ambition and her narrow religious intolerance was still it would seem always respected not only by the king himself a great discerner of character but by the court which she controlled and even by that gay circle of wits who met around the supper tables of her first husband the breath of scandal never tarnished her reputation she was admired by priests as well as by nobles from this fact which is well attested we infer that she acted with transcendent discretion as the governess of the duke of maine even when brought into the most intimate relations with the king 
and that when reigning at the court after the death of the queen she must have been supposed to have a right to all the attentions which she received from louis the fourteenth and what is very remarkable about this woman is that she should so easily have supplanted madame de montespan in the full blaze of her dazzling beauty when the king was in the maturity of his power and in all the pride of external circumstance she born a protestant converted to catholicism in her youth under protest poor dependent a governess the widow of a vulgar buffoon and with antecedents which must have stung to the quick so proud a man as was louis the fourteenth with his severe taste his experience his discernment with all the cynical and hostile influences of a proud and worldly court and after a long and searching intimacy it is hard to believe that he could have loved and honored her to his death if she had not been worthy of his esteem and when we remember that for nearly forty years she escaped the scandals which made those times unique in infamy we are forced to concede that on the whole she must have been a good woman to retain such unbounded power for over thirty years is a very remarkable thing to do madame de maintenon however though wise and virtuous made many grave mistakes as she had many defects of character great as she was she has to answer for political crimes to which from her narrow religious prejudices she led the king the most notable feature in the influence which madame de maintenon exercised on the king was in inciting a spirit of religious intolerance and this appeared even long before madame de montespan had lost her ascendancy for ten years before the revocation of the edict of nantes there had been continual persecution of the protestants in france on the grounds that they were heretics though not rebels and the same persecuting spirit was displayed in reference to the jansenists who were catholics and whose only sin was intellectual boldness anybody who thought differently from the monarch incurred the royal displeasure intellectual freedom and honesty were the real reasons of the disgrace of racine and fenelon for the king was a bigot in religion as well as a despot on a throne he fancied that he was very pious he was regular in all his religious duties he was an earnest and conscientious adherent to all the doctrines of the catholic church in his judgment a departure from those doctrines should be severely punished he was as sincere as torquemada or alva or saint dominic his wife encouraged this bigotry and even stimulated his resentments toward those who differed from him at last in sixteen eighty five the fatal blow was struck which decimated the subjects of an irresponsible king the glorious edict which henry the fourth had granted and which even richelieu and mazarin had respected was repealed there was no political necessity for the crime it sprang from unalloyed religious intolerance and it was as suicidal as it was uncalled for and cruel it was an immense political blunder which no enlightened monarch would ever have committed and which none but a cold and narrow woman would ever have encouraged there was no excuse or palliation from this abominable persecution any more than there was for the burning of john huss it had not even as much to justify it as had the slaughter of st bartholomew for the huguenots were politically hostile and dangerous it was an act of wanton cruelty incited by religious bigotry i wonder how a woman so kind-hearted so intelligent and so politic as madame de maintenon doubtless was could have encouraged the king to a measure which undermined his popularity which cut the sinews of natural strength and raised up implacable enemies in every protestant country i can palliate her detestable bigotry only on the ground that she was the slave of an order of men who have ever proved to themselves to be the inveterate foes of human freedom and who marked their footsteps wherever they went by a trail of blood louis was equally their blinded tool 
the order the society of jesus was created to extirpate heresy and in this instance it was carried out to the bitterest end the persecution of the protestants under louis the fourteenth was the most cruel and successful of all known persecutions in ancient or modern times it annihilated the protestants so far as there were any left openly to defend their cause it drove out of france from two hundred thousand to four hundred thousand of her best people and executed or confined to the galleys as many more they died like sheep led to the slaughter they died not with arms but bibles in their hands i have already presented some details of that inglorious persecution in my lecture on louis the fourteenth and will not repeat what i there said it was deemed by madame de montignon a means of grace to the king for in her way she always sought his conversion and when the bloody edict went forth for the slaughter of the best people in the land she wrote that the king was now beginning to think seriously of his salvation if god preserve him there will be no longer but one religion in the kingdom this foul stain on her character did not proceed from cruelty of disposition but from mistaken zeal what a contrast her conduct was to the policy of elizabeth yet she was no worse than letelier lachaise and other fanatics religious intolerance was one of the features of the age and of the roman catholic church but religious bigotry is eternally odious to enlightened reason no matter how interesting a man or woman may be in most respects if stained with cruel intolerance and religious opinions he or she will be repulsive it left an indelible stain on the character of the most brilliant and gifted woman of her times and makes us forget her many virtues with all her excellence she goes down in history as a cold and intolerant woman whom we cannot love we cannot forget that in a great degree through her influence the edict of nantes was repealed the persecution of the protestants however partially reveals the narrow intolerance of madame de montignon she sided but with those whose influence was directed to the support of the recognized dogmas of the church in their connection with the absolute rule of kings the interests of the catholic institutions have ever been identical with absolutism Bousset, the ablest theologian and churchman which the catholic church produced in the seventeenth century gave the whole force of his vast intellect to uphold an unlimited royal authority he saw in the bold philosophical speculations of descartes malebranche spinoza leibnitz and locke an insidious undermining of the doctrines of the church an intellectual freedom whose logical result would be fatal alike to church and state his eagle eye penetrated to the core of every system of human thought he saw the logical and necessary result of every theory which pantheists or rationalists or quietists or jansenists advanced whatever did not support the dogmas of medieval and patriotic theologians such as the papal church endorsed was regarded by him with suspicion and aversion every theory or speculation which tended to emancipate the mind or weaken the authority of the church or undermine an absolute throne was treated by him with dogmatic intolerance and persistent hatred he made war alike on the philosophers the jansenists and the quietists whether they remained in the ranks of the church or not it was the dangerous consequence of these speculations pushed to their logical result which he feared and detested and which no other eye than his was able to perceive Bousset communicated his spirit to madame de montignon and to the king who were both under his influence as to the treatment of religious or philosophical questions louis and his wife were both devout supporters of orthodoxy that is the received doctrines of the church partly from conservative tendencies and partly from the connection of established religious institutions with absolutism in government whatever was established was supported because it was established they would suffer no innovation not even in philosophy anything progressive was abhorred as much as anything destructive 
when fenelon said i love my family better than myself my country better than my family and the human race better than my country he gave utterance to a sentiment which was revolutionary in its tendency when he declared in his telemache what were the duties of kings that they reigned for the benefit of their subjects rather than for themselves he undermined the throne which he openly supported it was the liberal spirit which animated fenelon as well as the innovations to which his opinions logically led which arrayed him against the king who admired him the woman who had supported him and the bishop who was jealous of him although he charmed everybody with whom he associated by the angelic sweetness of his disposition his refined courtesies of manner and his sparkling but inoffensive wit a born courtier as well as philosopher the most interesting and accomplished man of his generation still neither Bousset nor madame de montignon nor the king could tolerate his teachings so pregnant were they with innovations and he was exiled to his bishopric madame de montignon who once delighted in fenelon learned to detest him as much as Bousset did when the logical tendencies of his writings were seen she would rivet the chains of slavery on the human intellect as well as on the devotees of rome or the courtiers of the king while fenelon would have emancipated the race itself in the fervor and sincerity of his boundless love this hostility towards fenelon was not caused entirely by the political improvements he would have introduced but because his all-embracing toleration sought to protect the sentimental pantheism which madame guillon inculcated in her maxims of disinterested love and voluntary passivity of the soul towards god in opposition to that rationalistic pantheism which spinoza defended and into which he had inexorably pushed with unexampled logic the deductions of malebranche the men who finally overturned the fabric of despotism which richelieu constructed were the philosophers the clear but narrow intellect of the king and his wife instinctively saw in them the natural enemies of the throne and hence they were frowned upon if not openly persecuted we are forced therefore to admit that the intolerance of madame de montignon repulsive as it was arose in part like the intolerance of Bousset, from zeal to uphold the institutions and opinions on which the church and the throne were equally based the jesuits would call such a woman a nursing mother of the church a protector of the cause of orthodoxy the watchful guardian of the royal interests and those of all established institutions any ultra conservatism logically carried out would land any person on the ground where she stood but while madame de montignon was a foe to everything like heresy or opposition to the catholic church or true intellectual freedom she was the friend of education she was the founder of the celebrated school of saint Cyr where three hundred young ladies daughters of impoverished nobles were educated gratuitously she ever took the greatest interest in this school and devoted to it all the time her numerous engagements would permit she visited it every day and was really its president and director there was never a better school for aristocratic girls in a catholic country she directed their studies and superintended their manners and brought to bear on their culture her own vast experience if Bousset was born a priest she was born a teacher it was for the amusement of the girls that racine was induced by her to write one of his best dramas queen esther a sort of religious tragedy in the severest taste which was performed by the girls in the presence of the most distinguished people of the court madame de montignon exerted her vast influence in favor of morality and learning she rewarded genius and scholarship she was the patron of those distinguished men who rendered important services to france whether statesmen divines generals or scholars she sought to bring to the royal notice eminent merit in every department of life within the ranks of orthodoxy a poet or painter or orator who gave remarkable promise was sure of her kindness and there were many such for the world is full at all times of remarkable young men and women but there are very few remarkable men at the age of fifty 
and her influence on the court was equally good she discouraged levities gossip and dissipation if the palace was not so gay during the reign of madame de montespan it was more decorous and more intellectual it became fashionable to go to church and to praise good sermons and read books of casuistry tartuffe grew pale before escapar Bousset and bourdaloue were equal oracles with moliere and racine great preachers were all the fashion the court became very decorous if it was hypocritical the king interested himself in theological discussions and became as austere as formerly he was gay and merry he regretted his wars and his palace building for both were discouraged by madame de montignon who perceived that they impoverished the nation she undertook the mighty task of reforming the court itself as well as the morals of the king and she partially succeeded the proud nebuchadnezzar whom she served was at last made to confess that there was a god to whom he was personally responsible and he was encouraged to bear with dignity those sad reverses which humiliated his pride and drank without complaint the dregs of that bitter cup which retributive justice held out in mercy before he died it was his wife who revealed the deceitfulness the hypocrisy the treachery and the heartlessness of that generation of vipers which he had trusted and enriched she was more than the guardian of his interests she was his faithful friend who dissuaded him from follies so that outwardly louis the fourteenth became a religious man and could perhaps have preached a sermon on the vanity of worldly life that whatever is born in vanity must end in vanity it is greatly to the credit of madame de montignon that she was interested in whatever tended to improve the morals of the people or to develop the intellect she was one of those strong-minded women who are impressible by grand sentiments she would have admired madame de stael or madame roland not their opinions but their characters politics was perhaps the most interesting subject to her as it has ever been to very cultivated women in france and it was with the details of cabinets and military enterprises that she was most familiar it was this political knowledge which made her so wise a counsellor and so necessary a companion to the king but her reign was nevertheless a usurpation she triumphed in consequence of the weakness of her husband more than by her own strength and the nation never forgave her she outraged the honor of the king and detracted from the dignity of the royal station louis the fourteenth certainly had the moral right to marry her as a nobleman may espouse a servant girl but it was a faux pas which the proud idolaters of rank could not excuse and for this usurpation madame de montignon paid no inconsiderable a penalty she was insulted by the royal family to the day of her death the dauphin would not visit her even when the king led him to the door of her apartments the courtiers mocked her behind her back her rivals thrust upon her their envenomed libels even racine once so far forgot himself as to allude in her presence to the miserable farces of the poet scarron an unpremeditated and careless insult which she never forgot or forgave moreover in all her grandeur she was doomed to the most exhaustive formalities and duties for the king exacted her constant services which wearied and disgusted her she was born for freedom but was really a slave although she wore gilded fetters she was not what one would call an unhappy or disappointed woman since she attained the end to which she had aspired but she could not escape humiliations she was in a false position her reputation was aspersed she was only a wife whose marriage was concealed she was not a queen all she gained she extorted in rising to the exalted height of ruling the court of france she yet abdicated her throne as an untrammelled queen of society became the slave of a pompous ceremonious self-conscious egotistical selfish peevish self-indulgent tyrannical exacting priest-ridden worn-out disenchanted old voluptuary and when he died she was treated as a usurper rather than a wife and was obliged to leave the palace where she would have been insulted and take up her quarters in the convent she had founded
the king did not leave her by his will a large fortune so that she was obliged to curtail her charities madame de montignon lived to be eighty-four and retained her intellectual faculties to the last retiring to the abbey of st cyr on the death of the king in seventeen fifteen and surviving him but four years she was beloved and honored by those who knew her intimately she was the idol of the girls of st cyr who worshipped the ground on which she trod yet she made no mark in history after the death of louis the fourteenth all her greatness was but the reflection of his glory her life successful as it was is but a confirmation of the folly of seeking a position which is not legitimate no position is truly desirable which is a false one which can be retained only by art and which subjects one to humiliation and mortifications i have great admiration for the many excellent qualities of this extraordinary and gifted woman although i know she is not a favorite with historians she is not endeared to the heart of the nation she indirectly ruled she is positively disliked by a large class not merely for her narrow religious intolerance but even for the arts by which she gained so great an influence yet liked or disliked it would be difficult to find in french history a greater or more successful woman authorities henri martin's history of france biographique universe miss pardot's history of the court of louis the fourteenth la Cretelle's history of france saint simon's memoirs voltaire's cycle de louis the fourteenth guizot's history of france early days of madame de montignon eclectic magazine volume thirty two page sixty seven life and character of madame de montignon quarterly review volume ninety six page three ninety four fortnightly review volume thirty five page six hundred seven temple bar volume fifty five page two forty three fraser volume thirty nine page two thirty one memoirs of louis the fourteenth quarterly review volume forty nine page forty six james's life and time of louis the fourteenth james's life of madame de montignon secret correspondence of madame de montignon tyne on the ancient regime Browning's History of the Huguenots, Edinburgh Review, Volume 99, page 454, Butler's Lives of Fenelon and Bousset, Abbe Ledier's Memoir de Bousset, Bentley, Memoirs de Madame de Montespan, Volume 48, page 309, De Bousset's Life of Fenelon. End of section 9.